The Veritas Radio Network is guaranteed the right to offend, annoy, agitate, shout heresy, and entertain. You start programming right now. Kind of like the cultural sewage served up on Bravo or CMT, only it's on 24 hours a day, except Sundays. When the truth gets you angry and you throw your smartphone, remember, no one is forcing you to listen to the truth on the Veritas Radio Network. You can't handle the truth. You're doing that of your own free will. That's what makes this country great and any gay marriage pointless. That's offensive. So there isn't much you can do about it, Chowderhead. I'm trying to think, but nothing happens. Grab a book, take a vow, and conform your mind to reality. Reality. Otherwise, you're just another Judas-inspired Karl Marx wannabe. And your children will steal your credit card number to buy tickets to the Miley Cyrus Twerkers Ball. I came in like a wrecking Are you ready? Let's get it on. On the Veritas Radio Network's Crusade. Welcome to the Philosophy of Prentice live classroom and chat room here on the Crusade Channel. King Size Truth from Radio Size Speakers on a Wednesday evening, 23 August 2017. We will be covering the lecture tonight from Brother Francis Malouf, covering De Homine. Lecture number 20, and if you'd like to join us in the chat room, you can ask any questions in there, and uh, you can get the notes from this particular lecture and much more. Uh, Go to my website, mikechurch.com, and click the Catholicism menu tab, and then under that, click the Philosophia Perennis, and then scroll down a little bit, you'll see the Philosophia Perennis homepage, and on the homepage... You will then uh, see the uh, the chat room, and you can either open it up in a new window or in the same window, whatever you choose, and give yourself a username, and then you'll be in uh, the chat. If you missed the previous episodes, they are uh, all posted on the same website at mikechurch.com, and uh, if we haven't gotten to post one of these episodes. It's simply because we are just too overwhelmed with other work to do and probably just didn't get to the file. We have the file, just haven't t- cut the end and the beginning off and cleaned it up and made sure it was ready for broadcast. So uh, please be patient. They all will be posted. But there are 18 of them up there, and there is a RSS feed that you could sign up for, 
And uh, if you have an RSS reader, it will update you automatically as soon as the latest episode is uploaded. All right, let's go to the St. Benedict Center in Richmond, New Hampshire, and bring in uh, our instructor, our sensei for the evening and every evening, Brother Andre Marie. Brother, how are you on this fine late August summer night? I'm well. How are you, Mike? I am uh, frazzled, overworked, and already in need of another vacation, and I'm only six weeks removed from the last one. But uh, otherwise... In uh, in in good good spirits, and uh, learning an awful lot today. You would never uh, believe the uh, the, uh, the things that you find that you're not looking for. I never believe the things that I find when I'm not looking for them, and then when I find them, I always scratch my head or, or say something to the effect. Now, where in the heck was that six years ago? And uh, today was such a day with this, uh, as a matter of fact, I need to send this to you because I think you'd find this, what's the word, Uh, you'd find it uh, fascinating and repulsive all at the same time. (laughs) You know, I was Uh, just listening to the Dehomenate lecture number 20, and Brother Francis was talking about B1 Bob Dornan. Yeah. Did did you catch that? Yeah, he he was, he did, he now... Yeah, he spoke well of Bob Dornan because Bob Dornan was talking about pro-life stuff at that time. He, he Bob Dornan was also explaining to members of Congress, uh, hey, you imbeciles, there's a reason why El Salvador is named El Salvador. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, he was, he was a Catholic. Unfortunately, he was also a war hawk. He was, and he used to fill in for Limbaugh uh, very uh, many times, and that's um, that's where I most remember him from. Yeah, I actually uh, I, I called one time back in the early '90s when Rush first got started, uh, maybe two or three years in, and Bob Bob Dornan was uh, was guest host, and I called and I actually talked to him. It was the Friday that uh, Oliver Stone's Kennedy movie came out because he had gone to see it and he hated it. <laughs> Um, anyways, Dahomey, lecture number twenty. I know brother begins with a psalm, and then he gets into a discussion of the psalm. Where would you like to begin? Well, I, I want to. I like to skip us ahead to where he's talking about Saint Thomas Aquinas uh, and the and the Summa, um, talking about um, well, really the the, the De part of the of the lecture. He gets more psalmy as the as the. Um, course goes on is that a word but, uh, psalmy psalmy yeah well i made it up I did, yeah. <laughs> you made it's a neologism now yeah that's right that's right um i've got a copy written so you can't use it uh the um so he, he talks about two lessons from saint thomas the first is that the knowledge of faith is not beatific knowledge the object of faith is the most sublime object there could be but the manner of knowledge that faith is, is not the highest manner of knowledge. Beatitude comes from vision, faith comes from hearing. So he's going to spend some time unpacking that. But there, there, we talked last time about the comparison of uh, three kinds of knowledge of God. The first is the knowledge that comes from the light of nature. The second is the knowledge that comes from the light of grace. And the third is the knowledge that comes from what is technically called in theology the lumen gloriae, the light of glory, 
which is to say uh, the light that, that the, the saints have, the blessed have in heaven. And when we compare at each successive step makes the previous one look by comparison dark. Mm. So the light of nature, now nature is a real light. The natural law is a real light. Um, our sense knowledge is, is truly a light. And of course the most, um, explicit way that we illustrate this is, is, you know, we know, for instance, let's go back to what we've learned already, namely that all knowledge that we have in this life comes to us through the senses, even if that knowledge is quote-unquote spiritual in the sense that we're speaking in intellectual concepts, we're not speaking in strictly material uh, things, it's not just w words being uttered, it's, it's concepts, ideas that are transferred from one mind to another. That's spiritual, because it's using man's spiritual faculties, his intellect. But even though we do that with language, and even though we, our minds are capable of that, all of the knowledge that is in the mind to do those acts of simple apprehension and, and make, to make judgments and later to make reason, all of that knowledge comes first to us through our senses, or rather I should say it all comes to us through our senses. So uh, whether it be hearing, hearing, uh, whether it be vision, hearing, uh, smell, taste, touch, those five external senses are necessary for us to have knowledge in this life. This is how we were made. It's not materialist mm -hmm. to acknowledge this fact. It's simply the way that God made us as beings composed of form and matter, beings that are spiritual beings, but spiritual beings whose souls and form matter. So we are immersed in matter, um, and we're not Gnostics. You know, we don't belong to these these weird sects, either of the East or or, or of, of the Christian West, which always involves some Eastern import which said that the body was evil. You know, Platonic doctrine tends in this direction. Platonism uh, always sort of uh, had this sort of seduction of Gnosticism, or uh, at least of, a, of, a, of an exalted sort of spiritualism that downplayed the material. So why am I spending time on that? Well, just to remind us that this is the way we know in this life. And it's it's a good it's the it's the dignity of the body that it is that it is um, informed by an immortal soul which is also spiritual. No other being has that dignity. No other material being has is informed by a soul which is spiritual. So animals don't have that. Plants don't have that. Even though animals and plants have souls, a vegetative soul for the animals for, for the plants and a sentient soul for the animals. But of all material living beings, man alone is endowed with a soul, which is also spiritual because it has the use of an intellect and will. So it is the honor of our body that, we're in, that we are informed by such a soul. Uh, but that natural knowledge that we have that comes to us through the senses uh, is the lowest form of knowledge when it's compared to the light of grace. So you can know God. You can come to the, to the belief that God exists 
that there is one God. You can come to know that he is good. You can know certain of his perfections just by the light of natural reason. Mm -hmm. and, and certain philosophers did achieve that. Oftentimes it was admixed with all kinds of errors and so forth, but they did achieve a knowledge that there was one true God. Um, but by the way, I was listening to something earlier this week. I f I'm forgetting. I was reading or listening or something, but some, I came across some, somebody giving a talk, I think. It was a lecture that I was listening to where um, the, the discussion was, oh, I know. I was reading the book, What We Can't Not Know. It's a, it's a book about natural law, the natural law. It's published by Ignatius Press. That's it. I was reading the introduction. And he was talking about how um, the, 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 um, the Christians, when we were dealing with the Greeks in the earliest days of the church, uh, and the, 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 talking about the Greek gods, uh, the, he basically says, we Christians told the Greeks, uh, we believe in God, but we don't believe in the gods you worship. You know, when asked by the Greeks, which God do you worship? Which of our gods do you worship? The Christian reply was, none of them. We don't worship any of the gods you worship. We worship the God that your philosophers talked about. So in this respect, in this respect, philosophy was higher than theology. When you look at the very imperfect pagan theology of the, of the Greek world, their philosophers, though, using their brains correctly and without some false concept of revelation, without the goofball mythology that they had, which, which I mean, had a tie point, it was interesting, and nice stories and so forth, you could derive good lessons, some of the fathers of the church used it, but the, the religion is false. But their philosophers came to a much truer notion of God than any of their uh, uh, poets who, who, who were purportedly mystics and all, you know, and, and, and the people who had the, the shrines and, and, and led, led the people in the cult of public worship. So, so th this, this is, the, this is a, a, um, a tribute to the good, good mind of the Greek philosophers, that they could come to the knowledge of one true God. But that, while it is light, because it uses the light of natural reason, compared to revelation, is darkness. Okay, so it's light, but it's also dark. Because when you compare it to the greater light, it's just like when you have a if you have a dark room and you have a 40-watt bulb, it looks bright. In fact, your, your, your retina is going to be hurt a little bit if it looks into the 40-watt bulb. But then if somebody comes in and lights up a 500-watt bulb, it's going to be much brighter. Huh? So you might say that the 40-watt bulb, bulb is like the light of natural reason, and the 500-watt bulb is the, is the light of grace or the light of faith. And, and then there is, a, there is, even after that, a far more superior light by which, in comparison, the um, light of faith, is darkness. And this is why you can read in the saints frequent references, especially in the mystics of the Counter-Reformation, say the Spanish mystics, they will talk about walking in the obscurity of faith. Now, what does it mean to be obscure? Well, something's obscure if you can't see it. So you, 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 they, they acknowledge that, yes, this is a superior light to reason, but compared to the beatific vision, it's dark. So that's more like, a, you know, I don't want to start giving a number. I mean, a thousand watt bulb. I mean, no, it's it's <laughs> like it's like the sun compared to a 500 watt bulb. So it's a far greater it's a far greater light. Um, and all of this has a great importance 
because we don't want to detract. We, we Christians do not detract natural knowledge. We mustn't detract it. All this stuff that the Enlightenment, uh, um, the Enlightenment thinkers f- foisted upon the world, this artificial divide between uh, faith and reason, as if faith and reason are necessarily opposed. Of course they can be distinguished. They must be distinguished. I've just been very careful in distinguishing them. Right. <clears throat> but while while they must be distinguished, they're not necessarily they're not necessarily opposed. And, and this, of course, becomes in the in the modern era, faith versus science. And that's a straw dog. And, oh my goodness! Yeah, brother it's, talks it's, about it's, it all the time. Of course, he was a physicist. I mean, he would know, which makes uh, his witness to it and his explanations of it that much more powerful, brother. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he knew he knew all these things. He had studied. He'd studied. He studied Euclid's geometry when he was a kid. I mean, he studied geometry <laughs> right out of Euclid when he was like a teenager. He he knew, uh, and he knew, and he'd studied physics. He studied a lot of these things very intensely, and um, you know, he he had great respect for it. I mean, sometimes he talks about it as if he hates it, <laughs> but I mean, you know. I, I knew I knew Brother Francis off the record too, and I know that sometimes he would even joke about, yeah, I was a little too hard on math at one point in my life. Um, <laughs> but 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 that that's because he was combating against the deification of these things. But he he liked these disciplines. He thought they were great mental disciplines. But where but where he opposed them was when when math becomes not just a a, a, a science and a method, but where it becomes the it becomes the the sort of the the queen of all the arts and sciences, which math does not have that position. The empirical sciences do not have that position. There has to be something higher than them to govern their activities. <clears throat> so, Brother Francis objected to that. But, but this this what you might call this tripartite knowledge or this threefold division of knowledge mm-hmm. um, uh, between the light of natural reason, the light of the light of faith. And the light of glory and beatitude. This is ex- exceedingly important. And to to exalt the and, and let's just get rid of this false conception right now. To exalt one thing is not necessarily to detract another. If, for instance, I say this, and there's a lot of this stuff in the Catholic faith. And 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 one reason that modern men can't wrap their heads around it is because they are so used to the excuse me Protestant division of divorcing what God put together. For instance, it's not faith versus good works, it's faith and good works. It's not sacraments uh, um, versus grace. It's grace coming to you through the mediation of the sacraments. There there is this great divorce, to to, to steal from a C.S. Lewis book title, Mm. there's this great divorce that exists in the Western mind since the Reformation, where when you dis- as soon as you distinguish two things, you must necessarily oppose them, and that's bogus. And like, we see it all, all over Protestantism. Like religion and state. Like church and state. Like church and state, yeah, which, right. By the way, L- L- Luther opposed those two things. I mean, he, he distinguished between the, the Christian as prince and the Christian as believer. And that, that introduced a lot of mischief into the modern world. We're still dealing with this. Yep, yep. So, so my... Um, my my uh, the, the, where I'm where I'm going with this is this false division is to say there are so many things in the Catholic faith where we where we show certain things being mutually complementary and we show and we or we speak of a in terms of a hierarchy of goods where you have something which is good and another thing which is better for instance 
between, say, marriage and the religious life. Now, I, I would be the last person on the planet to detract marriage. I mean, my parents were married, thank God. I mean, I, I came from I came <laughs> from a happy family that was based upon a happy marriage. Um, uh, I, I, I know that mar- I understand marriage is a sacrament. I, by faith, I understand marriage is a sacrament. And even before it was a sacrament, it was divinely instituted by our Lord, by God, in the um, in the Garden of Eden. But objectively speaking, and this is actually church dogma, objectively speaking, the religious life with its vows of poverty, chest obedience is considered a higher state than matrimony. Now, some people hear that and they say, well, you're insulting matrimony. No. Matrimony is so good that to think of something as being better than it, it must be really, really good. Why does exalting one thing over another mean that you've insulted the lower object? God gave us both. Okay, so th- this I'm giving you a typical example of something where the modern mind cannot grasp because of the radical egalitarianism that has entered the world with the French Revolution. The modern mind cannot grasp these distinctions, and it, and it rebels against them. Um, and by the way, when I say the religious life is higher, I'm not claiming to be better than any married people. It, uh, subjectively speaking, uh, uh, married people can be way holier than me way holier. It's just a question of the state. All things being equal, one state is objectively better than the other. Um, now, going to this, going to the thing about the, 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 the tripartite nature of knowledge, the church doesn't, detr- and you see this trick by journalists all the time. If somebody were to say something about the superiority of the knowledge of faith over the light of nature, somebody's going to will say, "Oh, well, you know, the the, the 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 priest said that natural knowledge wasn't worth anything." They'll they'll do this kind of thing all the time. It's because their worldview simply does not tolerate such distinctions. It's a very intolerant worldview. So the light of nature is far exceeded by the light of faith, which is far exceeded by the light of glory and the beatific vision. Man can have some modicum of happiness, because keep in mind, we're we're defending the position that happiness is in the intellect, not in the will, and and that the pursuit of happiness is the pursuit of the good, and that this is ethical, this is our moral good to pursue what is truly our good. And we can have a modicum of natural happiness in this life when we achieve a good. When the intellect unites itself to, the, to the, what is true, it has united itself with something that is a good. And, and this produces happiness. Now, the light of faith produces a greater happiness, or it should. Sadly, many people don't testify to the joy of the faith, and they don't seem happy. But if we really, if we really sat back and thought about what it is we possess with faith, we would have great joy in the will, uh, and it would be happiness in the intellect. We possess the truth. We possess the good of the intellect, which is the knowledge of God. And then, of course, in beatitude, there is that is where there is an unalloyed and uninterrupted happiness, which we call the beatific vision. You might say the happy vision, okay? It, it's a, when you say the happy vision, it's something it might be a Chinese restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> but Do the they have Peking duck is, there? It's a vision of happiness. And 
by the way, vision, a vision of happiness is what I'm calling my conference talk. So I guess that just sort of slipped out by way of cheap advertising. Um, but the, the, and, but that great happiness of the beatific vision, again, by far exceeds the happiness we can have in this life, either by grace or also by nature. So I hope we've clarified that, those three gradations of knowledge. This is the Philosophy Apprentice live classroom and chat room. We are talking about and discussing tonight uh, De Homine, uh, lecture number 20 from Brother Francis Malouf, which was uh, delivered back in 1987, uh, but we still have it to listen to today, and you can have it to listen to today as well. If you go to uh, Brother Andre Marie's website, Catholicism.org, that's Catholicism.org, and uh, search his store there, there's a variety, a vast variety of uh, lectures on uh, various topics, including several courses in philosophy. Uh, there is the main course that you can take, Philosophy of Prodenis, and then there is this course, uh, De Homine. Uh, be sure to ask Brother for the Crusade Channel discount uh, code so you can use it at checkout to, to get a little discount. And uh, Brother, I uh, actually had an occasion to, I guess uh, uh, Providence works this way sometimes, I actually had an occasion today to uh, read something, the, the something that I was referring to earlier that I discovered that just fits perfectly in with what you're talking. I'm going to send it to you so you can read it. It is an uh, address given by uh, Francis Scott Key on the 22nd of February, 1827, and it's called uh, Extracts from a Discourse on Education. And after reading it, uh, I began to, to, to realize, now when I read it with a philosophy of parental mind, if I, and a Dahomey mind. If I had read it with a neocon, let's bomb the world and get everything and get everyone else uh, to uh, to march straight like we do, uh, <laughs> I would have been standing and chanting USA, USA, and would have been seeing uh, rockets red glare in the air. Uh, and it's really quite shocking of a um, of a little treatise, and uh, <clears throat> I, I so look forward to you reading it. And I know you're busy because going back to school and you got to get your lecture ready for uh, for the convention and all that. But there's an awful lot of this disconnect here from uh, from two things and making one superior uh, uh, when they can both be in the same realm and one in, inferior. And there's also just running through this four page address is just such overbearing. Uh, if something's Masonic, what do you call it? Uh, well, Masonic. Masonic. Well, <laughs> or, or enlightenment. Just or? drenched with the government uh, gives us our rights and duties. The our government uh, brings gives to us our blessings. Uh, the words that he used. He even talked about the state of Maryland. And of course, you know Maryland, um, mm. and as Maryland being. Where, and, and its government uh, doing all these wonderful things and uh, being responsible for education. If you read it, you, you know, you'll probably be so incensed you won't make it through the first page. <laughs> it's, quite, it, it's, quite a, it's quite a treatise. I talked about it for a, uh, about an hour and a half today, and I only got through a, a page and a half. Um, but this was the kind of thinking that you're talking about, though, brother. This is exactly what Brother Francis talked about when uh, what John Horvat calls getting uh, a returning to order. And uh, that order was the order before uh, the Enlightenment. 
And it was the Enlightenment that filled all these men's minds with all this gibberish and this garbage that they could actually write this this cascade of, of, of beautiful words and stringing them together. And as I said, if you don't know, if you, if you have no training in this, it would sound to the average American like a speech that Donald Trump ought to give. Uh, yeah, I, I was talking to a priest friend the other day from, from Australia. He's visiting the country. And he told me, he said, we're all materialists now. Mm. And he was saying this in a very, very spiritual way. He was, he, was, he, he was practically preaching to this small little group of friends that were visiting him in Massachusetts yesterday. He says, we're all materialists now, and every day we have to convert our minds. He said, our, our life, he said, we have constantly, we have to convert our intellects back to God because the modern world is completely drenched in materialism. Mm-hmm. And we think in materialistic, modern man just thinks in completely materialistic patterns. And um, yeah, I mean, if you, it, and, and, and it's, it makes sense that somebody who is that way is, I think, in terms of matter and, and um, you know, just, just the, the procuring of matter. Spiritual goods are not, going to, are not going to be very important. No, not at all. And certainly, no spiritual goods come from uh, a source that uh, that is, or, or nothing good that you would even be gnostic comes from anything that uh, that isn't material. I mean, that's the world, and that's where all things are delivered, and that's where all things are kept, and that's where all things are guarded and protected, etc., cetera, uh, etc. Cetera. It's also a uh, just talking about the the material and the spiritual. We, you could talk just a little bit, uh, because this lecture is, is a little bit of a short one, you could talk, talk a little bit, because I, I know you've written about her, about St. Rose of Lima, uh, because she was a Dominican didn't even and didn't have a convent to go to, but that didn't stop her, did it? No, actually, you know, and, and um, okay, so for, for us, St. Rose of Lima, in the traditional calendar, St. Rose of Lima isn't for a few days yet. She's on the 30th. Oh, uh, of this month. Uh, today we're celebrating Saint Philip Benizi in the in the traditional calendar, but um, the the um, uh, yeah, I mean Saint Rose Saint Rose of Lima was uh, a, a Dominican uh, tertiary. Um, she was not actually a nun, I believe. I'd have to you, you got me flat footed here. I'd have to double check, but I'm pretty sure she was not actually a nun. She was a tertiary. Uh, but she wore the habit, which in those days was not uncommon for tertiaries who lived a stricter life to wear the habit. But yeah, I believe she lived in her parents' house and lived a, lived, in, lived a very intense religious life there. Oh, she made a hut. She made a cell outside the house. In the backyard. In the yeah, backyard. Right, she didn't want right. to live in the house. That was the whole point. Uh, but she never lacked for spiritual... My point is she never lacked for spiritual connection um, uh, and didn't fret over the fact that the material convent wasn't there. It, yeah. it was enough for us, for her to know what the rule was and you know, how she was to comport herself, and she did. Of course, that's why we call her Saint Rose of Lima. That's right. That's right. Um, so, okay, Brother's second point that he brings up in this uh, le- uh, lecture tonight is that it is impossible in this life to see God in his essence. Now, we know this, we've heard this a lot. Uh, For mortals, our happiness has to wait. Now, when he says our happiness has to wait, he doesn't mean it in an absolute sense. 
He doesn't mean that we absolutely can have no happiness prior to beatitude. That would be that would be an absurdity. Um, but but when he says our happiness has to wait, he means that to have that uninterrupted happiness and that perfection of happiness that is beatitude in heaven in the light of glory that has to wait. Uh, the best that we can hope for in this life is to be on our way to it. And God gives to those on the way a small foretaste of what beatitude will be. So happiness in this absolute sense is not something that we have on earth. And there's something fitting about this because we should be, we should cultivate, as Brother Francis constantly says, holy desires. He's going to talk a little bit about this for, for lecture 21 next week, which I happen to listen to today so I could get us a little bit ahead. I could get myself a little bit ahead, though. <laughs> Uh, and um, yes, the the uh, the holy desires are something we need. If if we thought that this life was it, if we if we if we had the complete perfection of happiness in this life, well, I mean, what would we be looking forward to? God, so God God mixes our happiness in this life with with uh, uh, difficulties and crosses and trials, and so that we know we have something greater to look forward to. Uh, it's not. It's not a matter of cruelty. It's a matter of giving us time to do penance, to prepare ourselves, to purify ourselves, and so forth, uh, and to look forward to a greater reality. Um, and Brother Francis says that every man's life would be transformed if he ever realized how much is said by this simple truth. That simple truth. You know, we, we parents oftentimes fail that fail their children when they allow them to have every. Um, desire gratified instantly. You know, we, we, for a long time now, especially we Americans, have lived in a, a culture of instant gratification. And we tend to pay for it. You know, our fast food is very unhealthy and our fast entertainments are very unwholesome and um, our fast pain reliefs and, and sleep aids and all these things are making us sick and crazy and um, giving us Alzheimer's and all this stuff. So, so many of these over-the-counter drugs that we take and prescription drugs are, are very destructive. We can't take a little pain. We can't take, we can't even take delayed gratification. Um, so the, the, the saints understood that there was something about delayed gratification because they understood the nature of heaven. At least they understood that it's not something we enjoy here and that uh, uh, the sufferings of this life, as St. Paul says, are not to be compared to what God has in store for those who love him. These realities are something that were, were yeah, they were accepted by faith by the saints, and modern Catholics accept it by faith, but it's so much di more difficult for us to live it in a society which says, you deserve the very best, you deserve it right now, and you deserve it exactly the way you want it. Because that's what Madison Avenue tells us. And so it's inimical for us to have this concept of delayed gratification. And, of course, parents need to teach their children this. You can't just give Junior everything he wants as soon as he wants it. You're going to turn him into a fat, spoiled brat. Got that, Mike? Uh, well, I was just getting ready to say, uh, okay. I, I thought I lost you. I wasn't going to say. Well, no. I mean, that's. Like, yeah, you that's, learn that, Mike. No, no, no. That's how kids supposed to be today. It's supposed to be uh, a fat, spoiled brat today. 
Uh, but, you're, but you're not. <clears throat> but today wouldn't be a fat spoiled bread. It'd be a fat transitioning spoiled bread. <laughs> exactly. Hey, by the way, brother. Speaking of attachments to the material world and a uh, or a natural world, and um, how the mo- how modern man uh, either rejects it outright, and which happens nearly all, uh, all all the time, especially these days, or can't distinguish between what is natural and um, uh, let's see what is what is natural that comes from the supernatural and what is accidental. Uh, did you know that in the last four years the, st- uh, the statistics have changed so that um, lesbian teenage girls have a birth rate six times higher than those girls teenage girls who are not lesbians? Wait, wait I, I, I'm not following you, Mike. <laughs> I Am know I it doesn't something? make any sense. And, and I know when you when, when people hear this, they go, oh, come on, Mike, you're just making it up. No, I'm not. I was shocked when I heard it myself. So apparently there uh, is an awful lot of crossover. And the crossover is, uh, is increasing year by year. So, uh, meaning that, meaning that women who wear comfortable shoes as, as Rush Limbaugh used to call them, um, they, they aren't just exclusively, uh, one way. Is that what you're saying? They are not. Well, okay. They're obviously are not exclusively one way and they, um, actually they're, um, Gosh, you know what? I'll put the story in the chat room, but you can see it. You can you can read it for yourself, and well, be, thanks. I needed something to give me nightmares tonight. <laughs> it's it's. But remember, though, the establishment today, including the education establishment, says that choosing your own gender and choosing uh, your own so, sexuality, sodomite or natural, uh, is the natural thing to do. And how ironic that even after making the unnatural choice, the unholy, immoral choice, that ultimately the body and the intellect tends to what? The natural choice. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, yeah, na- nature can only be slapped down so much, and, and, and one's natural. I mean, every, every girl has a desire to be a mother. It's, it's, it's something physically in her. Um, so that that's going to be there. I mean, when 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 a young lady becomes a religious and becomes a nun or sister, uh, she has to she has to make the conscious choice not to do this thing which she has a natural desire to do, to bear children, and 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 nurture them. And um, yeah, it, 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 that's how God made women, and even unnatural women, even women who by whatever i mean just to be as kind as possible to them just assuming that they've been traumatized and they are they are um uh, have have a mental disorder which is objectively what they've got um to so that they 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 feel attracted to other women that uh, even they you know they're they're in most cases i suppose their nature can only be put down so much before these normal uh, appetites and these normal drives uh, kick in, but yeah, it's 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 pretty twisted. It's sort of perversion's testimony to normalcy. You know, like like they say, uh, they say about uh, um, hypocrisy is uh, vice's tribute to virtue. Right, <laughs> so, right. 
you know, lesbians being mommies, I guess, is uh, is is the the the, the tribute of this unnatural perversion uh, to the to the demands and genuine appetites of nature. Yeah. Well, th- thanks for the surreal bit, Mike. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Brother Francis says, says, okay, so there's something much higher than reason, and that is faith, which puts us into personal contact with God. And this is something that, that's very important to know what the act of faith is. It's not just simply a, a, an assent to divine revelation, which it is, but it's a knowledge that God himself has communicated to us as a grace, in other words, it's the human mind being privileged to, to be lifted up to the thoughts of God. Um, so, and so now we can think God's thoughts with faith. Now, that doesn't mean we know, that doesn't make us omniscient, okay? It doesn't immediately, you know, uh, as it were, to make a very limp uh, 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 computer networking term, it does, it does comparison, it doesn't put us right into the mainframe, so we, we, we access all that data. But it does give us the, the knowledge that God wants us to have, which originates from Him, even about Himself. So, for instance, by nature, we can know, yeah, by nature, we can know that God exists. I've said that already very, very firmly earlier on. But by grace, we can know that God is a trinity. You cannot prove that God is a Father, Son, and Holy Ghost by nature alone. Right. In fact, St. Thomas says, any man who thinks he can prove the trinity by, by uh, natural uh, arguments or philosophical arguments detracts from the trinity. So the church has actually condemned the idea that man can know the, tr- the, 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 the triune nature of God without revelation. Um, and yeah, there was at least one heretic who thought it was provable by, by natural reason. The church condemned him. For who was it. that? Uh, who, who was it? Yeah, who, which heretic was that? I, I want to say it was Abelard. I think it was Peter Abelard who, who claimed that he could. He had all kinds of problems. This was only just one of them. Um, uh, but but Peter Abelard, um, uh, who, who who found himself at the wrong end of um, of, of Saint Bernard's uh, polemics. Um, Not a good place to be. No, no. Saint Bernard could be. Oof! Wow, he could be harsh. Hey, uh, brother, so, uh, yeah. let me, let me uh, uh, step in here and ID as a crusade channel here, a uh, part of the Veritas Radio Network, King Size Truth from Radio Size Speakers. You're listening to Dahomene, lecture number 20, our discussion on lecture number 20. If you missed the previous 19 lectures and the discussion, you can get the discussions at my website at mikechurch.com under the Catholicism menu tab, and you can download the entire series at catholicism.org. Brother Andre Marie, if you have a question after the uh, class tonight, he's always available to, for answers. You can find him hiding in plain sight on Twitter, at Brother Andre, and on Facebook, Brother Andre Marie. Brother, uh, what is coming up on tonight's 90th episode of Reconquest? The 90th episode of Reconquest is named Triumphalism, Virtue, and Peace. <laughs> um so I, I had this inspiration. Something was subjected, suggested to me. I didn't have a guest lined up. So um, I had written this piece on triumphalism years ago, and um, it kind of got very, it kind of got popular. And I was told, uh, yeah, why don't you do something on that? So I tied it in with two related, two two other concepts that I thought need to 
needed to be presented at the same time so that we didn't come across with some false notion of triumphalism. But today we're told all kinds of things about how we shouldn't be triumphalistic, triumphalism's bad, you know, it makes us, you know, it's, it's just chest beating and, you know, we should get away from that. And the church has gotten away from that since Vatican II. And, of course, we're all better now. Um, so <laughs> so I'm, I'm militating against that sort of milk toast anti-triumphalist attitude. But at the same time, I don't want triumphalism to be sort of, you know, uh, immature, this, this, this bloviating and, and chest beating uh, that's not based upon truth and virtue. So I had to wear the concept of virtue, like meekness and humility, to it, and then talk about peace um, and and how important it is for us to have an appreciation for what peace is, hmm. um, and that triumphalism isn't about endless conflict, for just for the sake of enjoying conflict and controversy. That triumphalism is about the triumph of truth over evil, even if that evil means reconciling yourself with somebody who used to be your enemy. So the ultimate triumph, I say towards the end, is 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 the conversion of your enemy, so that somebody who was once an enemy can now be your beloved friend in Christ. So a lot of Fra- Saint Francis de Sales in there. Um. Yeah. I mean, he. Somebody like me. When you're like me by temperament. Hmm. Which is to say, when you like St. Francis de Sales by temperament, you need to read St. Francis de Sales. <laughs> because uh, because uh, this is a man who is very choleric, extre- extremely combative, who was known as the gentleman saint, because he had so incredibly overcome that part of his nature. He, he had so incredibly overcome his nature by working with grace. But he never stopped um, uh, confronting... All the uh, the Protestants and the village of Sales, uh, he just didn't confront them directly. Instead, he would steal into the village at night and take these pamphlets that uh, he was printing up and sliding them under their under their doors. So right. he was combating the pamphlet fever that uh, began in England and, and and spread all its way through Spain and uh, France. And is the principal. Uh, and I know you had someone on your show to talk about this. Is the uh, principal reason why we have the uh, the urban legend of what is known today as the Inquisition? It's because of the pamphleteering prowess of the Protestants, who were just basically making things up and saying things that weren't happening to people uh, in Spain and spreading them all over the place. And the pamphlets outlived the witnesses. So yeah, yeah. And that's, yeah, the and black that, legend very much came from that. And Saint Francis de Sales used that same technology. And as you say correctly, he snuck he snuck those pamphlets under the doors of homes and merchant shops and. And uh, and this was in Geneva. This was in the very capital of Calvinist Protestantism. And um, he converted uh, in, in the tens of thousands. Yeah, 20, I want 000. to say in the number, it's up to seventy thousand people he had converted through this. Which for for you and I, brother, uh, because you publish as do I. He's the patron patron saint of the Catholic press. That's right. He's the patron saint of all those who. Defend the faith in the vernacular, very specifically, because unlike, uh, you know, prior to him, you didn't have so much popular Catholic apologetics Mm -hmm. where where you defended the faith in writing and circulated it like that. You couldn't have something like that before the printing press. And most of those kind of polemics would have been done in Latin. 
but he did his in the vernacular. So it's specified that he's a patron of those who defend or, or, or the faith in the vernacular. There's a book that you can get at Gutenberg Press, and it's a really good read. Uh, I think even kids can read, uh, teenagers can read. It's called The Spirit of St. Francis, and it's written by uh, one of his dearest, dearest monk friends, associates, who was with him nearly for um, his entire diaconate, bishopric, and whatever else he was. Yeah, uh, yeah, he, he uh, uh, he's a marvelous saint to read about. I mean, he he was brilliant, uh, but he also uh, lived a life of incredible virtue. All right, brother, seven uh, minutes. Let's uh, let, let's uh, make sure we finish our dehomine. Okay, so so I guess the, I guess where we should where we should wrap this up is Brother Francis uh, makes a point about faith. Faith is compared to vision. He says, faith comes by hearing. Of course, he's quoting uh, Holy Scripture. He's quoting the New Testament. Um, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. So faith comes by hearing. But the knowledge that we have in heaven of God comes through vision. And it's it's a direct vision without any mediation. So Brother Francis says, the knowledge of faith resembles hearing rather than seeing, because he accepts what is proposed by another. So that's hearing. When it is seen, we call it the beatific vision. When we see it, we realize how much it is uh, like what we believed. And Brother Francis frequently used to quote Father Feeney on this point, who said that when, when, you know, God willing, we make it to heaven. When we go to heaven, we will be surprised. We will be amazed. We will be, you know, we, we, we will be um uh, struck by the magnificent, uh, wondrous things that we're beholding, and although heaven will be, but although heaven will be full of surprises, full of wonder for us, the the surprise and the wonder will not be, oh, I didn't think it would be like this. The surprise and the wonder would be how it is so true what we were taught in this life, how just how true. The mysteries of the faith were, and and we'll be looking at ourselves. And this is my sort of riff on on Father Feeney, not 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 so much uh, his exact words, but what we, what we see will will be will be like kicking ourselves, saying, "Why didn't I realize it would be this good? <laughs> why, why am I surprised by this? I should have known." But but that but that's the point. Brother Francis said, "We will see we will see glorious, wonderful, marvelous things." But the marveling that we'll, we will do will not be, oh, I didn't expect it to be. I expected the very opposite. No, we won't say that. We will say, oh, my God, how true it is. How really, really true it is. And it's sort of like any great artistic or aesthetic experience, any truly enjoyable experience that you've had that's not sinful, somebody's described it to you who, who did it. Let's say it was a, a movie or even, okay, a really, 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 really good movie. And somebody described you this movie being good. So you took it on faith that this movie was good and you should see it. But then when you see it and you're, you, you yourself are sort of enraptured by the, by the, the enjoyableness of this movie, um, you, you're agreeing with the person, but you're, you're um, sort of stupefied by just how enjoyable it is. Mm. Well, the beatific vision far exceeds that. And then we come to the, um, uh, I guess you're on the last page here, and St. 
uh, Thomas Aquinas's two le- uh, lessons for the night? Um, well, I, I, uh, I, I got past that point, I think. Okay. Um, no, you did. I, I'm reading them now. So in this life, the knowledge of faith, um, it, Brother Francis says, doesn't set desire at rest, but it inflames it. And that should be, remember how we talked about how, you know, in, the, in this life, we don't ha- we have, we have to have this concept of delayed gratification. The ultimate gratification of the beatific vision is not going to be realized until we die. Huh? Right. So in light of that, listen to this. The knowledge of faith does not set the desire at rest, but it inflames it. It makes us desire that great thing that we keep hearing about, you know, like that great movie, you know, oh, I really want to see it. Okay. I have not seen or ear heard, neither hath it entered into the heart of man what great things God has for those who love him. That word of God spoken to us by St. Paul is something that should inflame our desires for heaven. That there's none of the glories of this earth, the, the, the beauty of the Grand Canyon, the beauty of Mount Everest, the beauty of the stars, the sun, all this wondrousness of God's creation Nothing can compare, none of that can compare to the glory that exists in heaven and to the happiness and joy of the souls in heaven partaking of that vision of God. And that should set our hearts ablaze to want that thing instead of merely to say how bad our own life is. We should, we should have our hearts set on those good things. The faith isn't a reaction against evil. It has to react against evil, but the faith, the faith is a positive content. And that's what we most need to grasp, is the positive content of the faith. That's one of my big E-Day fix these days, Mike, is how, how we have to be focused on the good and not just bemoaning the evil. Ah. <laughs> yeah, we, we have to fight evil. Obviously, we have to fight evil. In, in ourselves, especially. <laughs> but we have to fight evil. But if we don't if we don't fight evil because it's a denial of the good that we truly love, then our fighting of evil will become evil eventually. Well, we'll become evil by it. And there's no joy in it. No, no, it's utterly joyless. It's, it's, it's joyless. joyless. It's, 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 it's angry. It's just constant hand-wringing and, 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 right. and whining. I, uh, uh, a final note here in the last couple of minutes. I had lunch with a, uh, a, a friend today who uh, I would describe as someone who could, uh, if he studied hard enough, could be a, a tertiary uh, MICM. <laughs> uh, he takes it very, uh, very, uh, very seriously, but he hasn't given in to the temptation to succumb to anger and to frustration um, so where it, it starts to consume you. With uh, you know, well, did you hear what uh, this bishop did, or did did you see what you know what 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 the Holy Father said, or did you hear what this parish is doing, et cetera, et cetera? It's just as easy. I mean, maybe it takes a little more effort. Maybe it should take a little more effort. But it is. You can equally find things that you can point out, and you can go like, okay, well, that's not messed up. Okay, well, those people are finding good, true, and beautiful. That guy, that gal's finding uh, good, true, and beautiful. She's not uh, running around like a banshee woman screaming all the time. Uh, glasses uh, can be half full, and maybe even more than half full instead of half empty. So I think that that's just why. You know what that is? That, that You get that maybe, brother, 
You either get that yeah. through grace or maybe you get it through the uh, trial by fire and it comes to you through prudence, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it reminds me of uh, it reminds me of uh, the words that were given to Elias the prophet by God. Who, Elias was bemoaning, you know, complaining about how everybody's abandoned God, and God says to him, "I have left to me seven thousand men that have not bowed their knees to Baal." And yeah. Elias was stunned at the high number because <laughs> he thought it was one. Yeah, yeah, he thought he was alone. He thought he was so, alone. That that that's a reality that you see in Scripture. Yeah, so we, we can't be discouraged. And and even if everybody on earth is wrong, which they're not, uh, you know, we got the angels and saints in heaven, and they outnumber all these people. <laughs> yeah, and and then of course uh, a great exercise if you're if you're tempted by this, uh, pick up and start reading the book of Job. You don't have to read the whole thing. And if you think you got it bad, just read the first two chapters of Job, as I've been yeah. chewing lately. And, uh, brother, we got uh, 30 seconds left. A brand new episode, episode number 90 of Reconquest, is coming up next year, right here on the Crusade Channel. And, uh, ear hath not heard what God has ready for those who will love him by listening to Brother Andre Marie. Uh, for, <laughs> for Brother and all of us here, we'll see you next week here on the next episode of The Home and Ed.